right. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is, this is this is Ollie. And this is science in between. Science in between. That's what this is. This is in fact. So I'll set this up because this oh, is, you know, I brought this coming to the in hot. Uh, coming in hot. Yeah. Um so I I was been thinking about this. Um only because it's the it's the season of that. If you've been working in uh if you work in schools. We're gonna talk uh, about Christmas lights? No, 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 no. 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 It okay. is this is the time of the year when when these extracurricular types of science activities start ramping up mm. for a lot of folks. We start to get into science fair season. We start to get into uh, science Olympiad. We start to get into, you know, robotics competitions um, or, or Lego leagues. This is when things start ramping up. And those are all extracurricular science, science, STEMI type of things. STEMI, I just, you know. STEMI, it's a new word. Just lump yeah. them all into the STEMI box. But mm. I mean, these are all things that, I mean, I wouldn't put them in the informal science category, right? These aren't in because I mean, I think these are much more formalized environments for a lot of these. You know, I mean, they they don't have they don't have a. I mean, when we think of informal environments, I think we tend to think of them as having some institutional basis outside of the school in a in a pre-structured way, like a museum or whatever, rather than just an activity that that yeah. But these are these are things that are. Uh, are usually sponsored by schools or sponsored mm-hmm. by like um, or in partnership with schools and other yeah. entities. Right. And, um, you know, I, in full disclosure, I was the coach of <gasps> our, uh, of our science Olympiad team uh, for wow. a number of years, both in, you know, at both of my schools. So I was in Western Pennsylvania. I was, when I was teaching at, uh, you know, Franklin Regional, I was the uh, the coach of our Science Olympiad team there, and I also over, uh, oversaw um, what in Pennsylvania is the Pennsylvania Junior Academy of Science, which is a pretty big competitive science fair thing mm. where students are, um, you know, conduct individual research, and then they go and participate in uh, regional competitions, and they go to a state competition. And if our memory serves me correctly, it, they can also go to a state level concert. I mean, uh, to a national level com- competition. And and I think at the time, Penn State hosted the PGAS, the Pennsylvania hmm. Academy of Science. Um, Could be. I mean, I know they've hosted like governor's academies and other right. other activities here, so it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, especially because of its geographic location. Absolutely. University Park Campus is a good place to host things like that. And when I moved to moved out to central Pennsylvania uh, and was teaching, I, I was the coach of the Science Olympiad team there, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had made it in the States numerous times and we came like this close to making it to nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a, something that I'm. You know, I have a lot of experience with, at least from those two competitions. Now I've, uh, you know, friends, kids who do, you know, robotics leagues. I have, uh, uh, my nephew is really, and, and my sister-in-law are very involved in Lego league. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're doing all kinds of computer science type, type stuff. there, um, programming these Lego blocks to do all sorts of things. Um, I have some friends, kids who did, uh, Odyssey of the mind, which is sort of like a science and, you know, arts combination, you know, this, cause they're doing problem solving, but there's also this arts component with it. I mean, there's lots of these out there. There's sure. lots of these out there. 
um, in our the, university. The most traditional one, just for for other folks to have a frame of reference, would be like science fairs. Like right. those were those were like a big thing when you and I were in high school because we didn't have all these other robotics no. and all this other stuff. Yeah, and and I I think that. You know, there's lots of schools that that's a pretty traditional thing that they do in middle school or in you know early high school is that they say, okay, everybody's got to do a science fair, right? Um, have to do a science type of um, exhibit, right? Um, yeah. So I, I I don't know where I land in this. I don't know where I land is it because I guess I, the way the way I want to frame it is this, is this good for science education or not? You know, right. I don't know. Yeah. No, well, I, I, I mean, part of the challenge is it is it's a diverse set of activities, right? So, so to blanketly make a statement about whether it's good or bad is is tricky, right? Because like a science fair is very different than a robotics competition. Um, so, which I mean, is there, different there from like, elements? Yeah, which is different from like science olympiad, right? Right. Sci- science olympiad, there are you know you have a team of people, you go in with like a team of twelve or fifteen people. And you have to do, you know, all of these different competitions from, you know, some of them is engineering, some of it is content knowledge, some of it is like some of it's skill based. Like there was one like write it, do it thing where, you know, one student has to write the directions for making something out of Legos or, you know, Tinker Toys or whatever. And then the other person has to build that thing based on the directions they write. So mm-hmm. taking it down to some of the skills in science or science, you know, that, you know, someone would have to communicate. That's a communication skill that, mm-hmm. you know, is applied to a specific, you know, game, activity, competition, whatever. And then, um, yeah. So I, I, I guess the one part for me that, that I really struggle with is that um, in most places that this is happening and it's happening successfully, it's the really well-resourced schools with sure. lots and lots of, I mean, but that's everything, right? I mean, that typically those are your, that's you know, everything. best. Yeah, I mean, so it it does create a you know a division. There's a some some of those marginalized schools are further marginalized. Where if yeah. you're a student in a marginalized school or a marginalized school in a marginalized student in a marginalized school, right? It's even worse. Yeah, you know? and right. um, yeah. So that's the part, the inequity. Uh, and inequality, I think, is really a challenge for me because you always see those same schools. Like it was never, um, you know, the under-resourced schools that were doing well at, you know, Science Olympiad. No, 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 no because, yeah, because the laundry list of challenges there. Um, I mean, I guess I, we can come back to the equity piece because I think it's important. But I guess where I always start is is with the learning piece. Sure. And so for me, it's like, well, the first criteria I, I always use, whether it's in a science classroom or wherever it is, is the authenticity of the activity to the discipline. So if if we can, if that's a measure of the quality of the learning experience, the closer we get to to trying to ha- provide kids with an authentic and and if we're going to throw some fancy words in there, epistemic experience with the dis- discipline, then the better a learning environment it is for that thing, right? So if we can create a context in which kids are are cl- more closely doing science, then um, then that's better. And so the question then becomes, can we think about some of these activities relative to that? Can we think about like you know, I'll, I'll pick science fair cause I threw it out there and I, I know, I know less about most of these, like some of them I know reasonably well, science Olympiad. And some of them I'm, I know only like peripherally, like some of these sure. new STEM competitions and robotics competitions and things like that. But, you know, I mean, science fairs 
notoriously not a good authentic environment, right? I mean, often parents are doing a lot of the work. They're these sort of artificially created experiments that, you know, are not well monitored or, or, or um, supported by the teacher in any way. So they're sort of these little independent projects. So independent of the equity piece, which is, you know, very strong, even in those science fair projects, um, I think, you know, like the idea of how is this helping kids understand science as a discipline? I mean, I think it's it's okay. Like at least they're understanding how an experiment works and how to collect data in some cases. And so there's it's not valueless, but I, I struggle to see it as um, as really useful. And maybe a second criteria, and then I'll shut up for a second, uh, to think about is this relationship between individuality and community um, and how much of, you know, again, I lean towards community side. So right. to what degree is this learning environment a communal process versus an individual process? Yeah, I think those are good places to start. I mean, probably better than, you know, recognizing some of the systemic issues um, is just looking at from a, from an educational standpoint. And and you're you're right. These are mostly inauthentic. I mean, I think someone would someone who's a supporter of those would say, "Well, hold on. You know, getting kids that engage in independent research is is really important, and it's, that's what's you know science kind of does, right? It kind of involves some independent research, um, and then well, presenting the key there is what research means. But carry on, right, right, and then um, but then also like presenting that to a community. That's a that's a skill that we we mm-hmm. you know do in science. But I I think that you know it comes back to that independent nature, right? One, um, how much is this something that the students themselves are doing? Because you know, in a lot of cases, it's something where you know, a parent is engaging it or they've partnered up their kid with some lab because they've had access to that stuff. Right. Um, I mean, there are like really awesome things that I've seen kids present Absolutely. in those environments. So I don't yeah. want to discount any of that. Um, and and it's for from my perspective, these were things that the, the students themselves engaged in. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, there's also limitations to that, right? There's limitations from the standpoint of there. There's always so much that you know, uh, you know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year old kid can do, right? Sure. Unless they have like access to some like really, you know, awesome, you know, equipment or awesome environment because they, you know, are near a a research center. They're they're near Penn State, and their dad is or their mom is, you know, working in the lab, and they're like, hey, come on down, or their aunt or something is, yeah. you know a bio professor at Penn state. And they're like, come on down. You can, you can hang out in my lab and do some stuff, you know, but not everybody has that access. Right. Yeah. And even then I'm not sure, like, you know, it's, I I was trying to think of whether there's an interesting analogy here to other, other areas of life where you say like, Oh, um, I don't know. Like it just like the, the, attributes that they use to decide whether these things are authentic or not, I think are, are the one is where it gets complicated, right? Cause you can say like, okay, communicating is a science skill. Yeah. So that's true that scientists, one of the, the aspects of their job is communicating their, their developing understandings of the world to other people who may not understand and almost always don't understand the area of science that they're trying to explain Right. So that that is a skill. 
whether science fairs actually do that in a, in a way that's meaningful or connected to science as opposed to just like public speaking. Um, and if you're going to do that, what's the difference between doing that and like debate club or whatever, which is, you know, um, so it, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is, I mean, I don't think these things are valueless, but I guess, you know, maybe to keep our, our metaphor, uh, alive here, how much of this is death March and how much of this is fun sauce. And then how much of it is neither of those things. It's just yeah. sort of activity for activity's sake. So I think that's a, that's another question here. Well, I, I, I think that there's also, there, there, there's some benefit. I mean, I guess there's some oh, benefit yeah, with that. For that, sure there's that, benefit. I mean, because there are some individual students who come into that who go, this is the thing that like really sparked. I mean, because maybe they're, the classes that they attend are way more of the death march and a lot little, a lot less of this, the fun sauce. And so they're like, okay, yeah. you know, this is a place where, you know, my interest in science was really sparked because I did this really cool, you know, thing for, you know, I don't know, uh, they, you know, a coding club or whatever. Right. Right. And they were, you know, part of that. And, um, so, I mean, maybe it provides some access points for students that they're like, okay, I, I'm learning something. I'm maybe having a little bit more of, um, you know, when we talked about tensions last week, um, in the last episode, some of those tensions that we talk about in terms of traditional versus, you know, ambitious science teaching classroom, some of those tensions, you know, can be met if, especially if they're not in an ambitious science, uh, classroom, that I mean, how do we how do we get students to have more agency? That mm-hmm. could be a place where you know, taking on a science fair project could be that, right? They they may sure. have a little bit more agency doing that, or they may have a little bit more agency by being on a team for a science Olympiad, or mm-hmm. being able to program as part of you know a robotics club or whatever, um, because that agency is not being met in in their classroom environment. And so, um, I mean, there is. There are. I don't want to say that. Just discount it and say there's no benefits because there clearly there are. Yeah, um, and and I think you know there's a, there's a question. I mean, I think the question you're asking and and this related to the to my criteria, which I set up, I guess. Sure. But, but uh, you know, uh, there's a difference between saying is there value in these, and is there. Edu- science education value in these. And I think that's a that's a subtle distinction, but it might be important in this case. I mean, certainly another reason why a lot of these competitions are valuable um, is the social impact they have on kids who often are not competing in other areas within a school system, right? Like yeah. a lot of these kids may not be athletes. They may not be doing something else that's, you know, they may not be in theater. They may, whatever, they're not getting recognition within the school community, so this is an opportunity for them to be able to do something that they find fun and engaging that they can then be recognized and say, oh, you know, Ali, uh, Ali's team won the the state championship in the Science Olympiad. And, you know, people can say, oh, that's really cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think there these things have benefit. I mean, to your point about sparking kids' interests and science or in seeing themselves as potentially scientists, I think there's lots of value to that. So I guess the question is more, um, how much do we care how how much kids learn science in these things or how much science they're actually learning? Maybe they're not learning much, but maybe that's not really the goal. Well, I think the other part, and that uh, this is, you, you sparked this, when, when I, at both the schools I taught at, um, that I was the, um, the the coach of the science olympiad team 
it was a way for those kids to find each other, right? And then when we yep. would go to, you know, a regional competition or we would go to a state competition and there'd be like 35 teams and they're the collect, like we've just assembled all of the, the nerdy science kids from all of those schools and just brought them and dumped them onto, you know, a college campus on like a Friday or Saturday. And mm-hmm. so there'd be literally hundreds of little nerdy science kids because they would do middle school and high school yep. and they would all be there. And which is, you know, awesome in that they're seeing other kids like them. And, and so while these are a lot of individual competitions, and even when you're doing like, you know, science fair or something, you're, you're right. There's an individual, you know, they're doing individual work. They're maybe doing individual presentations, but we can't like, there, there's that identity component when they're actually mm-hmm. seeing that, okay, there's other kids who look like me who do this stuff too, you know, yeah. who are interested in the same sort of stuff that I'm interested in, you know? And like, yeah. and, and that's something that whenever you teach at, at some schools, they, they may be, you know, a very small percentage of the kids. And those are the, typically not, not the kids who are making the morning announcements because they, you know, I, so I, I guess I'm looking at it from the, you know, the individual cultural aspects there is that like, here's these kids who probably aren't getting recognized for other stuff and maybe given them the opportunity to find other people like them, hang out with other kids like them and say, okay, you know, it's okay to be like that. You know, yeah. it's okay to be a, a science kid, you know, right. it's okay to be, you know, somebody who in, it really gets excited to go to compete at the science Olympiad competition. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of these things do have communal aspects to them, right? They have joint problem solving things like science Olympiad has those. Certainly a lot of these robotics competitions, um, they have a, a sense of, we have a task, we have to break it down into parts. We have to work together and divide the labor and figure out how to organize all that. I think those are, those are important things um, for kids to learn. And I think it's a context for them to learn it again. That's different than, you know, traditionally a lot of that gets talked about in sports like leadership and um, you know, communal work and sense of team or, or group identity, like all those things. Those are super important, um, you know, developmental things for kids. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I was uh, when I was younger, when I was in middle school, I was in like academic games, which is similar. It's it's related to these areas, um, but more specific um, to to actually playing these sort of nerdy games. But um, but I think those things helped shape me and helped me think about myself in in ways that were were good for me long term sure. so i think there these the activities are good um but that said i also am, i i'm hesitant to um to attribute much science learning to a lot of them some you know because you know i'm not sure, i'm not sure that's happening right and i think that that maybe isn't even the argument for why these things should be in place so it's it's good for kids, but it might not be good for science, science or science learning. Yeah, I mean, right, but but it's a you know it's it's a thing that exists for the most part outside of the school, right? So I think in that sense, it's like it's sort of like we're talking about what's the value of high school sports programs. It's like, well, 
you know, I mean, in terms of what they do for kids in school, I think they do basically the same things that we're talking about here, right? They provide opportunities for kids to have a group identity, develop leadership skills to, I mean, in that case, there's a physical fitness component in the, in this, the ones we're talking about, there's more of a science learning component. So there's value in those things. But, um, you know, I think, you know, this is a, maybe this is getting too deep or big or whatever, but, but this, you know, this question of, like, if you look at marginalized or under-resourced schools, the first thing that get cut in those schools are, are the, are the quote unquote, you know, uh, enrichment things, right? Like they cut theater, they cut music, cut they music, cut after right. schools, everything. Like it becomes just like reading and math. And I think, in that respect, stepping back and saying, like, what are, what should schools be about? Um, I think schools should not be about only academics and academic learning, right? Like, that's our obsession with that is one of the problems that underlies a lot of, of our and, – and, of course, I think that all goes back to the way that we think about learning, of course. But, um, but yeah, I think these these things need to be seen in a broader – in a broader scope rather than saying, do they, or do they not contribute to science learning? Because maybe that's not really the question. Right. It's the, it's the, it's the wrong metric, right? It's the wrong, yeah. like, is it good for, for science? Well, it's good. It's good for schools. It's, you know, it's, it's good for kids who go to schools yep. and it's, it's a great way to get kids to participate. And also, you know, maybe tap into different parts of the, themselves that they aren't necessarily getting met in in a traditional classroom. So there are kids who would be really good at a science Olympiad, but you know, maybe not doing so well in their science classrooms, right? Because because right. it's it taps into different parts of them, and and the same thing with you know, there are kids who you know, if it wasn't for sports or it wasn't for music or it wasn't for theater, um, school wasn't a place for them. Right. I mean, and and I think that's yep. the same thing that we could say for, you know, things like robotics clubs or science Olympiad or science fairs is that, you know, for some kids, school isn't the place for them. However, these extracurriculars help them, you know, find different ways of 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 being different ways of participating mm -hmm. and different ways of learning. And they may not be learning a traditional curriculum per se, and they may not be aligned to science standards and may not be aligned to any standards. Um, but they're helping them grow and develop and learn, which yeah. we can't discount, you know? Um, no, it's critically important. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to the, the argument around these things and why they're valuable. And I think, you know, this is to, to connect it to a different thing that's sort of related, but it's more like in the informal space. Um, you know, have like maker spaces. A right. lot of the arguments around maker spaces have been like, oh, these are going to be great STEM learning environments. It's like, well, are they? Because that's not, because when you put that down as the criteria you're going to use to evaluate these spaces, I think it shifts how right. you think about how, them in ways that isn't it, right? productive. Um, so I, I think like maker spaces, do I think maker spaces are valuable? Absolutely. I think they're fantastic. And I think we should have many more kids have access to them because I think they do lots of cool stuff. Are they science learning environments? I'm not sure, but is that the question? 
right. question is like, what is the value of a makerspace? And there's lots of good value in a makerspace, but trying to connect it to science or STEM or whatever, right? It I, it just seems to me like a, a misunderstanding of what you should be targeting as your goal. It's like whenever a, a, a kid, you know, really wants to get a dog and they're mm. like, oh, I, I want it. I want, oh, come on, mom and dad, I want to get this dog. And here's all the things that getting a dog, you know, right. and it's like, and it'll teach me responsibility and right. it'll do this. And it's like all these ands and yeah. really, really the, the main purpose of getting a dog has nothing to do with that, right. you know, and it should, you should lean into those other things. Yeah. And, and, Having these, you know, these extracurricular things for us to start to say, well, it also does this stuff. Well, hold on, maybe just stay in your lane and say these are. This is the value that this this activity or participating in this activity, you know, offers students, and yeah. that should be enough. It should be enough to say. So, I mean, maybe I I, I framed it, you know, the wrong way. Is it good no, for science? I don't think you did. Because I think the, these are the questions that get asked about these things. And, sure. I, and I think that to go back to your point is, okay, so we should everything have a curricular outcome? Is that really the goal of all aspects all, there, of children's lives? There, right. Well, there's lots of people that say that that's what school should be, right? It should be – if it's not tied to a standard, if it's not tied to an assessment, if it's not tied to – sure. Know, then we should just cut it to cut it. And, right. And because and ta taxpayer money should not be used to support that. I mean, I, that's not my belief, yeah. but you know, I mean, because I think that when we, when we take it down to those, you know, reading, writing, and, and arithmetic, and that's the only thing that schools are offering to our students, then it becomes a pretty joyless space, yeah. you know? And, 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 I think, you know, offering these other things like theater, my kids are big theater kids, my kids are big mm -hmm. music kids, you know, and so s seeing the value that that brings to their lives, I don't know what it would be like, because it like, or they're the arts, like I like my my daughter, that was her main thing in high school was going yeah. to and participating in art class. And, you know, I don't know what it would be like without that, you know, because those yeah. kids who like are like my kids or like other people's kids who, you know, are like going to, you know, participating in theater or going and participating in music or going and participating in sports, you know, um, and the science fair and the robotics club and all the other things, you know, girls who code and whatever, those are all things I think that are really valuable and extends the mission of the school beyond the curriculum. Right. Well, and this, you know, this gets us right back to the, to the thing that we, that you brought up that we were pushing off a little bit, which is the equity component, right? Which right. comes down to the idea that a lot of schools that are, have fewer resources focus their resources on what they see as the core, right? The core of the curriculum, like back to basics sort of talk about curriculum, and and I think while that's understandable because there's a there's a certain panic when when you're being evaluated and, you, and you're not meeting a standard um, and you have limited resources, but then you look and say, well, all of let's look at all the successful, you know, the places that have more success in test scoring. Right. What do those environments look like? Well, they rarely look like stripped down basics focusing on reading and writing. Like that's not a that's not the thing, right? And and part of that 
is well the result the cause and effect of those things is that if you have a rich learning environment where there's lots of opportunity for kids to feel connected to school and schooling and that as a community those kids are going to perform better in the standardized testing environment regardless of how well you teach right because again teaching is relational activity yeah. right and so if you have a community that that those kids feel a part of and they feel connected to, they're going to perform better. If all they see this as is a testing environment where they're asked to perform um, and they're being drilled on that performance day after day after day, well, that certainly demotivates them, right? It makes and not that you can't make that work because there's plenty of places that have shown that turning your school into a test prep environment can make it work in terms of the testing. The question is, what does that do to to lots of other factors in kids' lives? What's well, a dehumanizing environment, right? I mean, when you when you reduce kids to numbers and assessment data, then it's it's no longer about them and it's no longer about the relationships. It's no longer about their identities or their ways of being and ways of belonging. That all that stuff comes secondary to yeah. what the that data point is okay you're here on this we need you to be here mm -hmm. and that i think is is devaluing and dehumanizing and that's not you know any brand of education that you and i would subscribe to no you know? and and long term the reality is not successful right like even if you can get kids to perform through through to the exam like what you've done to prepare them for the rest of their lives is not much and that and so are you really long term like i don't know this is a this is a legitimate question actually an empirical question which i don't know if there's been any studies of but you know the these the these environments that become test prep institutions do they follow those kids beyond the the immediate outcomes that they're looking at because that you know long term success how are these kids turning out down the road and what does that do to them as human beings as opposed to just kids that are taking a test in your school that you want to do better. Like, I don't know. I don't know if there's data about that, but, um, but it seems like that would be an interesting question to ask. Like how, how are they, like, how does this actually prepare them for the thing that ostensibly it's supposed to be preparing them for, which is the rest of their lives, not just the test that happens at the end of eighth grade. Well, you know, coming back to the, you know, we're looking at the one end of the spectrum, but coming to the other end of the spectrum, like I taught it, I wouldn't say like, elite schools, but they're really good schools. Like, yeah. you know, the two schools that I spent most of my K to 12 teaching experience in were both really good schools in their respective areas. However, there was a different level above where we were, right? I mean, we we're probably in the sure. top like 20%, but we're not like in terms of any metric, they're talking like test scores or, you know, median family income or whatever you want to do. We're in the top 20% of the state, but we weren't in the top 5% of the state, you know, mm -hmm. and there's a different level of elite. You sure. know, in a different level of privilege and, and resource. And so we would go to these competitions. And while we might be successful in our region, when we got to the state, these well-resourced schools would just just kick our butts. Mm -hmm. And and it was just like, you know, when I would talk to some of the coaches and I would talk to some – and they would come in like vans with all of this equipment and all these things. And I would talk to the coaches. I'm like, how do you get all this? Oh, the school really supports it. And, you know, we have a class that we teach and, mm -hmm. you know, we're paid advisors and, you know, and it's like, hold on. There's a different – like that's a different level of support. So it's it's not – it's an un 
unequal playing field sure. the whole way down. Right? Yeah, I mean, right. unless you're unless you're all the way at the one end, right? It is, I mean, and you're just staring at it as a hill and you probably think it's, you know, level, but mm. it is in fact not, yeah. you know? Well, and this is the, you know, if we want to talk about another sort of pernicious piece to all this is that a lot of people laud as, as a good quality to these to these um events is the competition right so so they say oh this is good this is like america is a competitive environment kids need right. to learn how to compete Co- competitions are good merit 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 based right. oh yeah exactly merit based meritocracy but then, but then it also in the same way under undercover or uncovers the clear disparities that also are part of America's competition, which is to say it's not an even competition. It's a right. it's a very, very skewed competition where the one percent and the five percent have huge advantages over the other groups. Right. And so anytime you have that sort of a competition, um you you are I mean, I guess in that sense it's good because kids begin to understand, oh, yeah, uh, if you don't have a lot of money, uh, you're probably not going to win in these events very often, right? And that happens both at the individual level and it happens at the at the communal level. And oh, so that's a lesson you can learn <laughs> from Science Olympiad is that you know, not that kids need to learn that lesson. I mean, it's uh, it's not a lesson, yeah, that most of them really need to be taught because they probably understand. Probably already, it. yeah, probably already know it, yeah. yeah. But I mean, the the like the one year I, we came, like I think it was like fifteen points from going to states. I mean, going to nationals, and I was like, wow, it would have been like we placed third. We like we're that close, and they take the top two to nationals, and I was like, ah, oh. you know, it was like basically, you know, scoring one better in you know in one of the competitions. One event, yeah, yeah, one event. You know, doing one place better, we probably would we would have gone to like nationals. But then it was the same. It's always it was the same two schools that always made it to sure. to nationals, and it was just like yeah, we it, and that team was my team was just stacked with kids that were just the 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 very best of our school, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. There it is. Hey, you know what? We have joys. (laughs) (laughs) After all that, somehow, somehow the last, maybe just the last couple episodes, but I feel like we've, we've ended up in some dark places (laughs) towards the end. It's like, wow. Yeah. So that's America. (laughs) Well, I, I will say that I, uh, somebody texted me uh, for last week's episode about the tensions and they were just like, this was, this was great. This was one of their favorite episodes last week. The untitled episode of one. (laughs) Untitled episode 15. Oh, Uh, yeah. Yeah. It will will never happen again. Never. (laughs) It will absolutely won't happen again. But but there's only uh yeah there's only eight people that that had the privilege of downloading that episode uh, as untitled everybody as else un- everybody else got the actual title of that episode yeah 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 so yeah. you have a joy you have a joy there sure yeah do I have a joy yeah I have a joy um I, so it's a joy I'm I'm tr- it's more as it's a little aspirational I'll just put it that way. Um, so I used to, I, I, I like data. Like I, this probably is obvious since I'm, I'm a faculty member who does research, but 
but I, but I just, I like data about I'm myself. I like to know stuff about myself. Um, so I track a lot of stuff, right. And most of it's passive stuff, like, you know, the exercise rings and things like that. Sure. Um, but one of the things that I've had a consistent pattern of doing, though not a consistent pattern of tracking everything, but always wanting to track stuff, it is um, is track different things about my behavior that I'm that I'm trying to either improve or um, or reduce depending on the thing, right? So one of the tools that I've used for this is um, is a is an app slash website called Datum. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's an, an interesting little thing. It, it, it's beautifully designed, which is what got me hooked me initially. And the guy, um, oh, what's his, his last name's Feltron. I'll have to think of his first name. I, I should look it up, but, um, he, who started this, um, did this for himself initially. So he was tracking things and he would annually put out this thing called the Feltron report, which was, uh, just a collection of stuff about his life that he turned into a ba- to an infographic. So this was the early days of this notion of infographics long before that's become like a hot thing now. But, um, but basically the app is not complicated. It just lets you track stuff and, and, um, there's a widget that'll go on your home screen and, but you can set up whatever you want and you can give those things attributes and you can put them into categories and you can track, um, literally anything you want. So if you're trying to monitor your caffeine intake, you can track how many cups of coffee you're having each day. Um, and you can differentiate that by drip coffee and espresso coffee and blah, blah, you know, however you want to do this to start gathering data. But I, I think it's, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of us struggle with who are in academia and have to write for at least part of our jobs is writing. And that's one of the things that I initially got interested in datum in as a tracking mechanism. So you can track how many words a day you write or how many pages you write or how many journal articles you read or whatever it is. Right. So I think, um, I'm, I'm just fascinated by this idea of, of data and how data can tell us things about our lives. You know, if you know what your weight is for the last, you know, 20 years, you can see trends in that data and you can see trends, not only from the beginning of that 20 years, to the end of that 20 years, but cycles within the year, when do you tend to put on weight and lose weight and, um, things like that, like resting heart rate, sleep. So there's all this stuff that could be passively or relatively passively collected in the background. But then this gives you an opportunity to start thinking about things that you're trying to track and change. So I'm a fan. It lets you do little outputs. So you have your own website and within the datum universe and you can make your own displays pretty easily. So it's, it's a fascinating little tool and uh, I'm just starting to play with it again and uh, and I recommend it. It's a, it's a fun little. How do, you, how do you how do you spell it? Like D A T U M or D A D D A Y T U M. Okay, yeah, because I did a quick search, and it wasn't coming up. And so, yeah. oh, there it is. Uh, Nicholas yeah. Nicholas, I just thought of it. Nicholas Feltron. So uh, yeah, if you go to Datum, you can you can. Um, see some of the, you know, the, the, it's, it's a very Mac looking environment, right? You'll see. Um, but there's, it just lets you make displays and, and keep track of stuff. And then if you want to put a, uh, 
to put a a a web page up in the universe. So if you're trying to do some sort of accountability thing, you can uh, you can do that too. Um, wow, yeah, it there's a lot of cool stuff here because you can do a uh, hundred items up to ten different categories. Yeah. You can display different graphs, and that's all for free. And yeah. then if you want it, do you pay? Do you pay for the? Um, I I just I haven't in years, and I just started paying again, but. Um, yeah, so there's, that's, that's cool. Yeah. So there's, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating little, uh, thing. Datum. I'll have to check it out because I was doing some tracking, you know, I'm, I I don't do sleep monitoring, but I was like tracking, like I was making sort of like benchmarks or goals for myself to try to, you know, in terms of exercise, in terms of, you know, sleep, in terms of water intake and things like that. Um, yeah. That'd yeah, if you, if you don't want to use an Apple Watch or some other tracking mechanism, this is nice and it and it's pretty straightforward. So, yeah, that's awesome. So mine is uh, it's it's nerdy, but just in a different way. Mm. Uh, so I went to see Wakanda Forever, uh, oh, which is yeah. the the new Black Panther movie. Uh and it's a I, I love these movies. I love all all of it. I know people you know rail on them and and what they're doing to the cinema industry, but I love it. I love it because it's all the things I've, I loved as a kid reading in comic books. And, and one of the big, and this isn't a spoiler. I'll, I'll give no spoilers here. Um, but one of the big characters who appears is Namor, um, who is, you know, that, the sort of Aquaman in the Marvel world, right? Mm-hmm. He's half human, half, you know, mutant, whatever. He's a, he's a mutant, right? Yeah, Don't he lives they have under, a different pronunciation of his name in the in the movie? N- no, they don't. Actually, what did it? No, it was so, like Namor or something. I've heard people talking about it. No. Well, I think that the one actor's name is similar to um. like his last name. It's not they they call him Namor, you okay. know, because um they don't do a different pronunciation. But like, okay. uh, well, at least I don't think they did. It didn't catch. Oh. I didn't catch it, or maybe they. But I haven't uh, I seen mean, it so. It picks up, you know, a little bit after the last movie. I don't want to give it too much away, but they do address the, you know, the death of Chadwick Boseman, who was the actor who played Black Panther. And and in some ways, they, you know, build on that in, in very, you know, touching ways. And uh, they advance the story. Um, one of the things that I've, I've always, um, you know, being a Black Panther fan as a kid, um, I mean, there were, there, the villain, Namor was one of the villains, but I was thinking that there was going to be another villain that would go next. And, and there was a very different, and this is, you know, I'm I'm saying this to you because you might know who the next Uh, villain might be, uh, but for a good portion of the movie, this, this villain was actually like really like it was playing a part because he was in the first movie and, you know, he's in the second movie, but he plays almost like a fatherly like role in the second movie. However, it lands in a different place where I just like, hmm, now it's maybe <laughs> setting up a third movie, you know, where he yeah. may be the villain, you know? So, um, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It's a little long. Um, they could have probably cut it by 20% and, and no one would have missed it because there was like lots of times where I'm like, well, why are we doing this? It's just basically for fans to say, oh, that's in there. Oh, that's in there. Like there was a, you know, there was parts where I just, I thought it was unnecessary. Um, but it's a really beautiful movie. Ryan Coogler, the director, is just, you know, he's a, a master of of really telling a great story. Um and uh, you know, and, and 
heartfelt movies because I think that was you know Wakanda. I mean, uh, Black Panther was really great and and heartfelt, but his other works too. The other things he's done has has been has been great too. So, um, Wakanda Forever, check it out. You know, cool. yeah, like it. It, the pa- the theater was packed and we saw it the second weekend. It's just is making money like crazy. So yeah, no, I, I it's it's definitely on my short list. Um, so I hope to see it before it leaves the theater because those are those movies in particular are good to see in in a big. Oh theater. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Because it's like and yeah, it was it was awesome and yeah, they'll make more. They'll make yeah. more. They'll make boy, lots. Boy, more. will they? <laughs> they'll make more. You know, because yeah. you know it just it. Yeah, if if they are selling a lot of some, a widget, they're gonna make more of those widgets, you know. Yeah, for sure they yeah. are. Yeah. Well, here we are. You know, are. science we, in between. We reached the end of our time together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks for being here. We'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now.